Let us pray. O Lord, you have given us your holy word for our learning and for our salvation. And so this morning, Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your word. That by its good news, we would be transformed more and more to be like your son. For the sake of the world. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to be seated. We thought we'd left the worst behind us in 2020. But this week, even worse came. Our capital was vandalized, invaded, desecrated. Our elected congressmen and women evacuated and people died. The Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said, the violence and destruction and chaos we saw was unacceptable undemocratic, un-American. It was the saddest day I've ever had serving as a member of this institution. Senator Marco Rubio said it was one of the saddest days in our history and a national embarrassment. And as Monica and I and our girls watched these events unfold along with the rest of you, both horrified and saddened. These words from Revelation chapter two kept going through my head and my heart. Revelation chapter two, verse four. I have this against you, Jesus says. You have forgotten the love you had at first. Remember the height from which you've fallen Repent and do again the things you did at first. I think the reason these words ran through my mind and my heart is these are words of reckoning. A reckoning. That's what we had this week. A day of reckoning. We've had days of reckoning before as a nation. We've had days of reckoning before as individuals, in our marriages, in our family life, in our workplaces, in our communities, both personally and corporately and very much in our face this week, nationally, we had a day of reckoning. And reckoning is such an important word because it doesn't just mean recognizing the problem that we're facing, but recognizing what's brought us to this problem. See, a day of reckoning is a day that the bill comes due. That our piled up actions, 
pile together before God. And we find ourselves with the bill come due, the consequences for our sin, a day of reckoning. Revelation 2, 5 begins with those words, remember the height from which you've fallen. See, the Bible is clear. The Bible is a book that acknowledges there is such a thing as a reckoning. That sin brings disastrous consequences. Hosea 8, chapter 7, they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And of all the sins that we have sown, it seems front and center over this past year, especially over this last week, we see that front and center of all the sins we've sown is the sin of contempt. See, contempt is not the same as intolerance or tribalism. It's worse. Contempt, in the words of philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, contempt is the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another. We all, in small and in big ways, have been sucked into this sin of contempt. Contempt has no political party, as we've seen over the last year. Contempt does not live in one specific tribe. Contempt has burrowed its way into each one of us in different ways. And if we believe in this moment that contempt has not entered into our hearts, woe is me. How ignorant I am. Through social media, through mob mentality, we have been caught up as a nation, as a people full of contempt. And just be clear, I'm talking to Christians I don't expect anything but contempt from pagans. I once was one. But we expect from Christians not contempt, but love. Sacrificial love. Love that goes the extra mile. Love that is willing to take it in the face and not respond in violence. Now, before I go further, I better stop and say that I know that some in this room may say, now, Father Paul, with all due respect, you're an immigrant. You're a newcomer to this nation. You don't really understand the depth of what's gone on here. But I understand. I'm an American now. And let me tell you, from my perspective, having been someone that has lived most of my life outside of America... Here's what it's like to live outside of America. You live your life looking at the United States as the guardian of democracy and the rule of law. 
And so as someone who's lived outside of this for most of my life, I'll tell you that when America stumbles, the free world holds its breath in fear. Have we seen how the leaders of the nations have responded? What is going on in America? We Americans must take this day seriously, this day of reckoning seriously, not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of the world. But there's good news. There's always good news when it comes to God. Here's the good news for the church. The good news is this, that it is on our very day of reckoning. That day when the consequence of our sin comes due, that's exactly where Jesus meets us. When the consequence of our sins come due on that day of reckoning is precisely the day that Jesus meets us. Every other religion and worldview tells you to shape up or clean up or climb up a mountain and find God. Only Jesus comes down to us in our worst moments to heal and forgive and save us. As Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet in our worst moments, while we were yet in our worst day of reckoning, Christ died for you and for me. The good news in the midst of this day of reckoning for us, friends, is that God turns our day of reckoning into a day of repentance and a day of return. God uses this moment. Can we hear it? He who has ears to hear, let them hear. This moment of reckoning is a moment for repentance and return by God's grace. Again and again, we have made a mess of things in our lives. And again and again, in those moments of reckoning, God says, repent. Now is the time to repent and to return. God turns our day of reckoning into a day of repentance. Again, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 not only remember the height from which you've fallen, repent. It's the word in Greek, metanoia. It means to turn around. It means a U-turn. It means a different direction. And let's be clear. Repentance is not just a feeling in our hearts. It is a movement in our feet. We actually change direction. As Eugene Peterson says, Repentance is saying no to one thing so you can say yes to something else. It's a turning and a new way of living. And repentance can only begin when we stop blaming others and pointing the fingers. 
Whoever is without sin, throw the first stone, Jesus says. We need to stop justifying our actions. We need to stop justifying our side as rights. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but the line separating good and evil passes right through every human heart. We have found the enemy, and it is us. We are sinners. We are broken. We need to repent. And repentance begins as God convicts us of our sin. I know it's hard. It's hard to hear it. It's hard to embrace it. It's hard to acknowledge it. But when God brings us to that day of reckoning and we are confronted with our sin, we're confronted with our blindness, we're confronted with our selfishness, we're confronted with our stupidity, that's where repentance begins. Sin is fundamentally stupid. It's abandoning the ways of God. Stupidity. In the words of South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who presided over all of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid, said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Before a holy God, none of us can justify ourselves. We, like that tax collector in response to the Pharisee in Luke 18, can only call out to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't want to live like this anymore. That's repentance. But it's not just, as I said, an attitude of the heart. I want to not live like this. I want to be different. I want to move away from this sin. It is actually a change. It is a movement. And this is why our day of reckoning not only will be turned into a day of repentance, but a day of return. That God uses days of reckoning to bring us back to who we are, to return us home to return us to the people he's made us to be. Again, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Do the things you did at first. Do again those things you did at first. It's the language of return. Go back to who you really are. What were those things that we abandoned? Verse 4, Jesus says, I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. It's not in the forefront. It's not the first thing you turn to. It's not where you go to. It's been abandoned or at least put on the back burner. But the gospel, friends, is that even on our worst day of reckoning, we can return 
to that love we've abandoned. That's not hyper-optimism. Those of you who know me know I'm not an optimist. But it's gospel. Even on our worst day of reckoning, we can return to the love we've been called to because love is what we were made for. No, even further, love is what we've been made into. Do you see that today providentially is the feast of the baptism of the Lord? We have baptisms tonight after our 5 p.m. service. This is a day we celebrate what God does in baptism. And you know what God does to us in baptism? God puts Jesus' own life on us. In those waters, God the Father puts the life of his Son onto us. As Galatians 3.27 says, whoever of you have been baptized have put on Christ. You have Christ's life placed on you. That's what it means to be born again, to be born again into the life of Jesus. And therefore, if Jesus is love in the flesh, then that's what you and I have been made into in the waters of baptism. Love in the flesh for the sake of this world. And we may mess it up and we may forget ourselves and we may abandon that love at times and be very bad disciples. But it can't change what God has done in those waters. Our bad behavior, our abandonment, our worst moments, our day of reckoning cannot undo what God has done in us. Those words of John 13, Jesus at the Last Supper says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I loved you. In the same way as I've loved you, you love another. That's baptismal language. The way I've lived, you'll live. Love one another just as I have loved you. And then he says this, by this will all men know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's what the world is waiting for. It's what the world is looking for. God's baptized people living into what we are. Jesus' ethic is never this sort of burdensome, you know, become what you're supposed to be. Try harder. Jesus' ethic is always the grace-filled, become what you already are. Become what I've made you. This is why Luther said that we should return to our baptism daily. We should return to our baptism daily. We should remember who we are daily because we forget. We forget and the sin piles up and we end up at a place of reckoning. It's like that story of that young man who was given everything and yet forgot who he was, forgot what family he was truly a part of and he went down a route of sin and destruction 
And eventually the day of reckoning came for that young man. And you know where it came? He was in a field feeding the pigs. That Jewish boy from Luke chapter 15 at his day of reckoning, feeding the pigs. In that moment, God could use the reckoning that he would repent. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But not just repentance, a full return. The son comes home. He returns to who he is. And here's the amazing thing of the gospel. Is that as the son comes home after that day of reckoning, that day of repentance, that day of return, he finds his father running for him, rejoicing over him. He still is the son he's always been. My son was dead and is now alive, the father says. Was lost and is found. That's the promise of our baptism. And we must return to our baptism, especially on a day of reckoning. This is why we have our baptismal font at the entrance of the church. So that as we come to church, we return to our baptism. We are reminded again of who we are. This has been for our nation a day of reckoning. But there's good news for the people of God. God uses and turns our days of reckoning into days of repentance and days of return, returning to the love we had at first, returning to our baptism, returning to who we are, returning to the way that he's made us to live in this world for the sake of the world. This is the gospel on this day of reckoning. So let us return.